the air condition is not working really well. It, it's uh, finicky. It was working great earlier. So um, it's one of those things. Anything that's man-made, you can have problems with it. So, Well, it's good to see you. Um, thank you for standing with Larfine. She's here this morning. Yesterday we had a memorial service for Bill, and, um, and I really believe there was a lot of honor poured out on Bill. And a lot of love poured out on Larfine every day. Uh, she has challenges for her. And I know probably some days are harder than others. Um, and we have others in our church that's walking that kind of journey. I've got four sisters, and three of them have lost their husbands. And uh, two of them dying in their sleep. That's why that morning call really, I've, I've heard that call before from a desperate broken sister and one of my sisters has lost two husbands so um, and I know that every day they have to have the Lord helping them uh, last Sunday night we had our annual uh, business meeting <clears throat> we had a we welcomed three new additions to our board and Dennis Johnson is here this morning he's one of the, the new additions the other two are Scott Cockrum and Eddie McClinton. Eddie has served before, but Scott and Dennis are um, the new sacrifices that's going to be put on the altar. We'll put it that way. <laughs> you have no idea. What, no. Uh, we are so blessed with great leadership here, and uh, thank you for the praise team. You know, sometimes we kind of take all this for granted, but they're here a little bit before 8 o'clock. Shane's here before that. You know, they're coming in, they're getting overtime pay. You know, they're in here early. So, uh, but I see all that, and and we get to out, be out here and worship, and, and there's a lot of work that's going in, on into that. So I just want them to know that we know that, we recognize that, and we appreciate that. Um, we restarted our Wednesday night service this week, and it was great. Royal Rangers, Impact Girls. Uh, study in here and we're still working on child care uh, trying to get all of that ready and um, uh, the children's church started up high voltage started up last week so um, you know th this has been difficult times this has been unusual times you know I'm, I don't know whatever word I can use it would be an understatement you know we still my mask is down there I, I, I get out of my truck a couple of times at least sometime and start heading in, and I said, oh, i got to go back and get it, and I put it on, and I think we're still supposed to wear masks, right? I hadn't heard anything different. So, uh, but here we are. We also in, are in an election cycle, a presidential election cycle, and does that have a lot of energy in it? Um, but we got to pray. You know, yesterday was two gatherings, and they were not related at first. Franklin Graham was going to have a prayer walk, a two-hour prayer walk, and then Rabbi Jonathan Kahn was going to have what they call a return. This was a, a rally for prayer and speakers, and I didn't get to see any of it, but two of my sisters, my two oldest sisters, were there. And they said that in that prayer walk, there was more people praying in the Spirit. Said there was just an infusion of the presence of God in Washington, D.C. Now, I love Washington, D.C. I could go and visit. I could never get tired of visiting that. I could never get tired of going to Arlington. 
I could spend days in the Smithsonian. And I get frustrated when I know I have to leave the building so I can get to another building. I could go over to Ford's Theater and the museum over there. I could never tire going to those buildings. And, and we were there in, I think, 99 or somewhere along in there and standing in the gap when thousands of men, Coach Bill McCartney and Promise Keepers, you remember that? And uh, I just believe that it was timely that somebody felt the urge to call our nation to prayer and have it televised and different people. You, I, I believe it's, uh, you can still go back and hear some of the speakers. But uh, I've also been there for our March for Life. And um, that's an overwhelming experience if you ever have a chance. That's always in January. But we've got to pray. One of the things we stopped doing when we, um, we stopped everything just about except for under 10 people being out in the youth room doing praise and worship. But we we're having Sunday night prayer at 6 p.m. And we just kind of got out of that habit. But we got five Sundays after today before the election. And... Um, I don't know who, who wants to be here this evening at 6 p.m., but we're, I'm going to be here praying. And one of the things is I'm praying for that election. I'm praying for our nation. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for God to do something in America, a revival. I just think maybe our enemies overseas, whether it's Iran or Russia or China, whoever is considered one of our adversaries, I just probably think they're sitting around saying, man, we're not having to do anything. They're doing it to themselves. Do you ever have that thought? I had that thought. It's like, they must be like, hey, we can, we can save our money. No use in us trying to up, upset anything. They're doing a very good job of it themselves. Let's just sit back and let's relax and watch the show. And it's a terrible show. And it's having terrible consequences in our world. And we need healing. So let me get right back right to the message. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, typically, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to the greetings of these epistles because they had a certain form that they would take, and we don't start our letters this way. We don't start our conversations this way. Uh, Middle Eastern people always start with uh, an interactive greeting called, the Jewish people say shalom. Um, Arabic is shalom. They're very close in language, and it means peace. That's peace for both of them. Many of them start their conversations when they greet each other with really a blessing. Well, we don't do that. We just say, hey, how you doing? That's our greeting. Or how y'all doing? If it's down here. But I want you to just go through these first few verses with me this morning in Second Peter chapter 1. And um, this is such a great little epistle and a great starting chapter to it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness and through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires 
Now what follows is an admonition. Starting with verse 5, there's this admonition of adding, of increase, of growing, to add more and more to the virtues of what he was saying that we needed and we must have. And it's all completely from the Lord. It's all completely from his personal activity in our lives, his connection to us. Now, we're going to come back to this, but there's a verse here that, you know, every time I read something, I thought, well, I didn't realize that. I didn't see that, or maybe it didn't jump out to me. But what was going on here was a sort of blindness to the people of God, and he mentions this in verse 9. I want to take you down to verse 9. We're going to skip these other verses and go to verse 9. There's so much between here, but look at verse 9. He says, and whoever does not have them, the things that he was calling for that we should have in our lives and be adding to our lives, he said, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Nearsighted, myopic. In fact, if you try to go and Google nearsighted for the etymology of nearsighted, where it comes from, it will give you that. It'll give you the etymology of myopic. The word is you that is used for. Now, I know exactly what it means right now because I can't read a thing. I have to have these. And all of you are blurred. So I have to have a different prescription. I have a progressive lens. It's not the old bifocal. So I need help both ways. So I'm farsighted and nearsighted, I guess. But he's, talk, he's not talking about nearsighted in visual, physical visual, but he's talking about how they've become spiritually nearsighted. And this is what I've titled this message, plain and simple, nearsighted. We're plagued with nearsighted. Nearsighted means that you can only see things clearly that is, that's up close. And it seems to me like it ought to be reversed. Like it's a malady that you can't see. But I think they have a surgery that can correct it. That's all you have is nearsighted. But it, he's not talking about that kind of nearsighted. It's not only the person that's nearsighted. It, there's a certain degree of blindness. He uses both of those terms that those who don't have them, who are not adding to their lives, have, have some blindness to them, have some nearsighted to them. To them, And what is that nearsighted about? It's not about what's in front of them. It's what is behind them. He said, this is defined by a forgetting of what's happened in the past, how the Lord has cleansed them from their sins. So there's this forgetting of what God has done in your life. And all of a sudden you become myopic spiritually because you cannot focus on anything that he has for you because you have forgotten what he's already done for you. And as we were singing that song, I like I didn't tell them what I was preaching on. They they do the music. They send me the music. But then I had to write this, take me back to where we started. Take me back, remind me where we got going on this journey, Lord. Because undoubtedly, according to what he was writing to believers, and he was writing this to Christians, that we can have a, a problem of forgetting what God has done in our lives. And then it says, I open up my heart to you. So I open up my, my visual, my physical and spiritual visual to you, Lord, to show me and remind me of what you've done in my life. We can be so easily detached from what God has done in our lives by the obsession of the now. 
we can be obsessed with the now and and that's not a bad thing because faith is now faith is a substance of things over faith is always operating in the current present situation but that faith has to be connected with what god has done for us in our past it has to be and not only do we get disconnected from god we get disconnected from each other really we have a communion of faith he's writing to believers that we are connected by faith and we're connected by what the lord has done in our lives and this is magnified by the current crisis we're facing in our world the past months have seemed like i don't know it seems like march was like two years ago to me i it just it doesn't seem like it was six or seven months ago that we started down this uh constricted life that we have that we have to wear a mask we have to use hand sanitizers and i was i was really kind of a germaphobe to begin with i always wash my hands before i eat and and that's just embedded in me but you know now it's even like to a, a degree to where you just have to do it to consider that you're being as safe as you can to keep yourself from getting the virus but we need to look not only ahead as far as what our our rest of our year october's november december because we're already we're all there aren't we we're right here at october but we must never forget the means of salvation that we experience the grace that redeemed us we can't forget about the cleansing away of our sins the forgiveness of our sins and the advancement of our lives into his grace the gifts of the holy spirit the gift of god the, the uh, encounter we have with god on a daily basis let me read the opening line of this second letter again <clears throat> but i think first of all i'm going to go to verse 12 first and i'm going to read what what he says as the how this is all working the first four verses are packed with stuff that you have to kind of read it slowly and say oh okay oh and for me i just get like really excited about it when i read something that kind of grips me and I come in here and it's kind of like, it's not, I'm not as excited as I was back there. And maybe I, I can't be excited out here as I was back there because I got I to gotta do this. So verse 12, here it goes. So I will always remind you of these things. This is interesting. He says, you forget, your problem is forgetting what's back there. He says, so I'm going to be reminding you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. And what he's about to say is really the whole reason why he's writing this watch verse 13 i think it is right to remind your memory again he's talking about i want to jerk you into a current reality that connects you to what's happened in your life through the power of god to refresh your memory as long as i live in the tent of this body watch verse 14 because i know that I will soon put it aside. Have you ever thought about that? I've read this, I don't know how many times, and I've never got the, the essence that he has been told by Jesus himself that he's about to die. Now, he was, he was martyred in around 62, 63, in the early 60s, about 30 years give or so a couple more years after jesus died and rose again so here he's been involved in ministry for 30 years 
plus. And he's been told by the Lord. Look, look at verse 14. Because I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He's made clear to me <clears throat> that this is my last correspondence with you. I'm about to finish my journey. And, and he's not the only one that referred to his body as a tent that's going to be laid aside. But Paul referred to himself as our bodies are like tents folded up, laid aside until God gives us a new tent. And I kind of like that because I really, I really could not take funerals growing up and beg my mother to not take me up to view somebody in a casket. And I grew up in the country, and the view was always at people's houses. And I was like, please do not make me go in there and see them. And here the Lord began to deal with me about ministry, and I said, I can't even go to a funeral, let alone preach a funeral. Until I walked down and saw my neighbor, Beth Johns, who was killed by a drunk driver. We had just gotten married. She did the flowers for our wedding, and she was our next-door neighbor, and um, just tragic loss of life. Young kids, teenagers, Danny and I, we roamed the woods behind our house. We built forts and all this. And when I walked down there, the Lord spoke to me, and, and I never preached a funeral, but the Lord spoke to me. He says, that's not her. She's not there. She's with me. That's the house she lives in. And I really believe he spoke that to me, not to just relieve me of the jibbies of that, but to let me know the reality. Peter says, this tent is about to be folded up, set aside, the Lord has told me, so I'm trying to remind you people before he finishes with me to wake your memory up. So that's why all of this should kind of like be ratcheted up a little bit more important because it's like the Last Supper. It's, it's not his Last Supper, but it's his last correspondence, and he's saying these things. And so he said, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. How many times is he talking about jerking their memory into a current reality of what God has done in their lives, and they have drifted from it. They become nearsighted. We all can become nearsighted spiritually. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories. We did not make this up. When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him at his best. And guess what he pulls out as an example of that? If you're there, he says, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory from heaven, the voice came to him saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We heard ourselves this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. We didn't make this up. We saw it for firsthand. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophets, prophecy never had its origin 
in the human will. This is really all about God working in us. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And for the sake of time, I I probably shouldn't have read all of that. But once I got to reading it, I said, I guess I got to read all of it. But I do want to take you back to the first four verses. And I want you to make some connections here if you want to circle words. But he says, I'm a servant to those who through the righteousness, and you ought to circle the righteousness. And where does that righteousness come from? It's not our righteousness. We don't have any righteousness. In fact, whatever we have that we call righteousness is like filthy rags. Even when we say, well, somebody is a good person, good is relative. As compared to who? When we compare ourselves to God, we are hopeless sinners. What goodness can we put alongside the goodness and the righteousness of God for God to say, well, you know what? I'm not going to have to give you all my righteousness because I'm just going to add a little bit of my righteousness to your righteousness. We have no righteousness. And this is what he's saying at the front end of this letter. That it's the righteousness of God, it's the righteousness of Jesus that we have received faith. We've received our faith through what he is and what he has done. As precious as ours. Look at verse 2. This is what belongs to us. This is what we get out of it. Grace and peace. Grace and peace is for you and me. Grace and peace be yours, and not yours in a limited supply, but yours in abundance. Through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. We get grace and peace in abundance when the knowledge of the Lord invades our lives. And this is not just gnosis. This is the word for knowledge. This is epinosis, meaning precise and clear knowledge. This is an intense word of knowledge. This is God revealing himself to us. And when he does, we repent and grace and peace floods our souls because we cannot manufacture that. We're hopeless to give ourselves peace. We might think we have peace, that we kind of did it ourselves, but it won't take much in a person's day to let you know that that peace is really fragile. And the peace that lasts is not the peace of this world. This is why Jesus said, the the peace I give to you is not the peace of the world. The peace I give to you is of my peace. My peace is different from whatever you can experience on a human plane. And then in verse 3, how are we doing on time? I don't have it up. Oh, we're all right. There used to be a clock up there. Thank you, Shane, for removing it. Verse 3, his divine power, circle that. This is that that belongs to God, his divine power. What has that done for us in our life? Think about the connections that he's saying, this is who God is, and this is what it does in our lives. This is what God has done. This is what will happen in your life. And he says, so his divine power, I'm telling you, verse 3 and 4, I'll just stop here and say, if, if you can't get just a little tad of excitement out of 3 and 4, I don't know what can give you excitement. Maybe it it might be seeing your team score right at the last minute to win the game, and then you get excited. 
But that doesn't even compare to three and four. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. <laughs> I think he said that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So we are not lacking in the resources. What we're lacking is the nearsightedness of knowing those resources. It's our nearsight. There's no problem with God. It's our capacity to see it and to embrace it and to know it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He takes his glory and believe it or not, he deposits it in us. Giving us, empowering us, giving us his goodness, not our goodness. You know, anybody can have compassion. I don't know about you. I watched those commercials about this, uh, this group. I, I wish I could think of their the name. They, they rescue dogs and cats, and, and they have these dogs quivering, and it's uh, like they're, they're so sad, and, and they want I'm, I'm sorry, I, I own two dogs. Don't you start looking at me like, you know, come on. But I feel like they're, they're making them like humans. And they're so sad because nobody cares about them. They're hungry. And you people who are feminine should give them food. And they wouldn't be so terribly malnourished if the people doing the filming would give them food. That's what I'm thinking. But the goodness, we can have compassion. We see anyone hurting. It provokes us with compassion. I tell you, but the goodness of God takes us beyond the sights of pity and sorrow that we kind of have built into our, our human heart that we don't want to see people hurt. We don't want to see people in pain. But the goodness of God takes us way past that to give us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything, there's nothing lacking. And if you thought verse 3 was good, look at verse 4. And I'm, I'm not going to get through all of this, so we'll just do a part two, I guess, next week. Through these he has given us, I'm telling you, verse 4 just lit me up. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. See if you can tell what phrase in here just bowled me over. Not once, twice, every time I see it. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you realize that we get to participate in the divine nature of God. Not side by side, not with us, but in us. The power of God working in us. This is the knowledge produced by the revelation of God to us. And do we ever need a revelation of God? The character of God, the atoning work of Christ in our lives. And the beginning verses is what? takes us down this road his divine power has given us everything everything we lack to do what he wants us to do he called us by his own glory and goodness and there it is participate in the divine nature 
having escaped the corruption in our world. Boy, do we need to escape the corruption of our world. This is clear vision right here. This is, this is the remedy for nearsightedness. These verses will drive out spiritual nearsightedness out of your life. It will wake your sight up where you remember and then you look forward. All of us make decisions. We make some decisions every day, and they're like just moat learning. We, we, I'm a creature of habit. If I'm going somewhere else, I need to go somewhere else before the church, before I, I get to church in the morning, I'm going to have to probably turn around in the church parking lot as I remember that there was another place I needed to go before I came here because I'm a creature of habit. And so we do a lot of decisions just because it's our habit. But we face decisions, and, and I think sometimes in our young adult years, we're, we're not as nearsighted because we got so much stuff going on. We got what, am I, what kind of work am I going to do? Who's going to be my life partner? And uh, these things can weigh different degrees in importance. And we can be having fellowship with the Lord, and it's a right now fellowship, and we love Him, we worship Him, we serve Him, we have communion with Him. But if we're not careful, we're not really thinking backward or forward. We're not remembering what he's done in our lives, and we're not thanking him for that. We can be so, so obsessed with now asking God, Lord, guide me today. But if we're not connecting to what he's done to, for our, our lives in the past, how do we know how to connect to him now? And what does he want us to do in the future? Now, as you get near to graduate from college or you're getting... You're getting, you're getting a little bit more interested in what's ahead of you. And the interest in who, who's going to be your life partner. I didn't really get serious about anybody until I was a, a junior in Bible college. A junior in college period. And there was this little redhead that just kind of captivated my life. And then it became really important then about that part of my life. And we got married the next summer. And we were told, if the praise team can come up, we were told and advised there was no marital counseling for us. People didn't do that. They might give you a little advice. Here's one, here's one of the advices we got, I think maybe even after we got married, is like, you know what, you don't need to start having kids really early because you need to kind of learn each other and get used to each other. Anybody else have that advice? Don't start having kids right off the bat. And so we, we took that advice. And we're glad we took that advice because those early months in our marriage, we realized we didn't have a clue as to what we were doing. That we were both stupid. And we confessed to each other, we're, stu we're stupid. We, we have no idea what this, we didn't have no idea it was going to be like with these challenges. But we needed, we, we needed that to kind of adjust and look forward and, Two and a half years after we said I do, we, we welcomed little Jason Daniel into our lives. Well, actually, he was in our lives a few months before that because he really messed up his mommy's systems every day. But those, that was me having enough, us having enough wisdom to think, well, maybe they might know what they're talking about. And yet here we are, we're making decisions every day as to who has our ears, what has our attention, 
And according to what Peter says, I just want to remind you guys before I depart that there's things you need to keep in mind. What the Lord has done in your life and what he wants to do in your life. And he's given you everything you need to do that. You can get on your knees and you can ask God to give you more. But sometimes I think we just need to ask him, Lord, clear my nearsightedness up. Take me out of the nearsighted. Take me out of tunnel vision. I challenge you this morning to confront whatever degree of nearsightedness you have. Where you're not connecting to what he's done for you in the past nearly as much as you need to. And that connection hasn't nearly stirred your heart for what he has for you ahead of you. I'm getting closer every day to laying my tent down. But I have the awareness that he wants to do things in my life right now for what he has for me ahead. Would you stand with me?